5166 of visit us at 450 Avenue and Carry Street, Athlone Industrial. Al Kofa, Halal Meat Hyper, your pocket friendly butcher. Drive time on 91.3. Always on the cutting edge. Was it the Cape Drive Time? Welcome back to the show. 0829-913-913 is the WhatsApp line. Feel free to query, comment, stroke, and or criticize. As university students continue to protest again across South Africa uh, in terms of debt and rising costs, we focus on the state of higher education in South Africa. The uh, financial funding challenges, the socio-economic uh, impact affecting students, and even possible solutions. We've got two guests online, Elijah Moholola, the, the University of Cape Town spokesperson, and Professor Thierry Lusher, uh, Research Director, Inclusive Economic Development uh, at the Human Sciences Research Council. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Safik, and always good to be on VOC. Thank you, Safik. Right. Professor Lucia, I'm going to start off with you. Um, what do you uh -huh. see as the central reasons for current student protest? Is it exclusively being directed at rising education costs and existing debt? Yeah, um, Shafiq, I think the best answer to that you would get from the student leaders themselves. So I can read the same thing that you do and that uh, your, uh, your, your listeners also get from the news, it, uh, where there's what the students are saying in the news, of course, is predominantly that um, it is around the registration challenges that students are experiencing right now, and they are linked primarily to universities not registering students who have got um, debt um, over a certain threshold um, that may be, um, for example, for not having been able to pay tuition or residence costs um, in the previous year or previous years, and then a level of debt accumulates that at some point or is at a level where the university just has to say, look, unless you are going to start paying back some of the debt, we will not be able to re-register you. And then the other thing, of course, that we've also been seeing is generally um, a dissatisfaction with NESFAS, NESFAS not having responded, um, uh, uh, not having been able to respond with saying uh, to students, especially first-year entering students, that they have been awarded um, a, a scholarship. Um, and then that some institutions, in fact all institutions, have agreements with the Department of Higher Education and Training how many students they may enroll. Uh, every year, for every year, there's an enrollment plan, and uh, I think the one that is in the news now in particular um, is the one around UNISA, where UNISA has been told by the ministry um, to cap its enrollment um, and, in fact, reduce by about 20,000 students, and this has even gone to the courts now. So I think these are, these are probably the three, the three main issues, but there are other uh, matters of dissatisfaction, of course, uh, as well, you know, and all of that more generally deals with the question of open up higher education, make it free, uh, make it accessible uh, to everyone. 
Elijah, okay, what, what are the problems that UCT is facing now? Um, we see historic debt. I should assume that's a debt that students still owe over a certain threshold, perhaps. Issues surrounding costs and issues surrounding registration. So I think the, the UCT-specific issues, well, from what we have sensed actually to start with, is that it's more of a solidarity drive or a solidarity movement that sort of aligns itself with what is happening elsewhere nationally, you know, at other institutions, particularly in Gauteng. That is like largely the driver of the issues that have been put to the fore. Now, looking specifically at UCT situation, you have two issues broadly. The issue of student funding and that is linked directly to the issue of historic debt and you have the issue of NSFAS issues that have been experienced unfortunately you know with their limited funding and any and anything else that they've put to the fore earlier in the week. Issues of student debt at UCT, historic debt that is at UCT, we have as early as last month in fact about uh, almost a month ago announced uh, you know to all students that if you have historic debt and you are a academically and financially eligible, there is 30 million that the university has set aside to assist such students. So as and when students were coming forward, we could assist those. We believe we have put measures in place. And of course, we have to emphasize when you are academically eligible, when you are financially eligible, you will be assisted. You should, in fact, have been assisted through the 30 million that has been put aside. Issues of NESFAS became a bit of a challenge, which we are engaging with the department over. We are happy with what the, the minister said yesterday in his latest briefing to try and show that government is moving towards resolving those. But the good thing with UCT is that if you are an NSFAS funded student awaiting outcomes of your application, you are not necessarily prohibited from registering. You can always register because you don't have to make any payment as an NSFAS funded student. So we believe those issues, the two of them at UCT, we've done quite sufficiently to address such that students are at ease. Professor mm. Lucia, to, to get back to you, um, it's still, still a prickly question, isn't it, the whole issue of tertiary education, because we seem to be caught between uh, a rock and a hard place in terms of what kind of society we have and the ability of, of students to pay. Um, how do we get around all of this? Because from, from what we're seeing in the media is that every single year, uh, come registration time, there are going to be problems. Uh, exactly. Well, Shafiq, you know, um, uh, it is wonderful to hear um, Elijah, you know, and it's wonderful to hear what UCT can do. But UCT is quite unique in the higher education landscape of South Africa. Even VETS, um, uh, you know, uh, can seemingly not assist the students the way UCT can do. So, so, and then, and then we have got, uh, you know, uh, we've got 26 institutions of, of uh, you know, public universities across the system, of which, of which uh, UCT is among those few most privileged ones. You know, so the the reality in other institutions about how they can handle um, uh, uh, debt of students um, and and how much they actually depend 
for their funding on the Department of Higher Education and Training and on NESFAS, you know, is a completely different story. Some institutions uh, uh, require as much as 80%, uh, if not more, of their budget straight from the national fiscus. UCT has, um, you know, a sizable fee income. It has a sizable third stream income from, from research that is done on commission or that is funded otherwise. So, so the, um, when we look at the problem as a whole, we have to have a, 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 a perspective that understands this, this diversity, this, this differentiation in the system, some of which is historical. You know, some of it comes all the way back from the way institutions were set up and how black institutions have historically been underfunded. To not have engineering schools, to not have medical schools, and, and are trying to establish that now. It's all part, of course, of the, you know, of the apartheid legacy that we see in the system. But what we need, if, if, if you want to address this problem, and you are right, Shafiq, when you're saying every year, every year, and it only spills over, the, the student protests only spill over like they do today and they have in the course of this week into the media when when they happen in the metros, when they happen, you know, at Vets, at UJ, you know, at UCT, uh, or uh, uh, in Cape Town, you know, or in Durban, when they happen in Toyando, in Goma, you know, in Polokwane, somewhere in Maikeng, you know, it just doesn't make the SABCs, the ETVs, or the Voice of the Cape. It doesn't. Okay, but it's still happening. Indeed, for years, for 20 years, we've had this problem. The thing is, actually, we need to sit down as a sector as a whole, the whole sector, and not just the higher education sector. In fact, the post-schooling sector, so including the TVET colleges, including all these other entities in the department that include CTARs, for example, you know, who are all involved somehow in funding post-schooling and including even the high schools and the new technical schools and occupational schools that the Department of Basic Education has established for grade, grade 9 to 12 learners. And we need to sit down and we need to ask ourselves, how do we fund post-grade 9 education in this country? Because grade 9, not grade 12, grade 9 is the end of universal education at the moment, right? That is actually, that is actually where your basic schooling ends. Then comes high school, then comes senior secondary school, as it used to be called sometimes, grade 10, 11, 12, where you can also, at that point, make the choice already to go to a TVET, which is something very, very few are doing, okay? And then you could get an NCV, uh, a, a, a vocational metric, for example, rather than trying to get an academic, a high school metric. We need to sit down together as a sector as well and rethink the funding model, because we need 100% of those who are post-grade 9 to be able to get an occupational or professional qualification that holds its water in the labor market. We can't have 3.5 million young people sitting at home and hopefully watching generations, hopefully doing nothing worse than that so-called needs, not in education, not in employment, not in training. The numbers are growing every year, every year. This is becoming, a, this is a, 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 a powder keg that is, and we see, and we see it. And, the, and remember, these are the ones who are protesting are actually 
you could say, almost a, a privileged minority. They are the ones who could make it into higher education if they can get their registration. What about the other 80 of 100 who never even can make it to higher education because they do not have the qualification, because they do not have a metric or they do not have a metric pass that allows them to apply to a university? We have to be worried about the 80, not only about the 20 who are now protesting in, uh, in, in Johannesburg and in other in, in some of the other campuses in solidarity. And there's some interesting points there, and I think, uh, Professor, the one uh, point you made is we need to get skills uh, into the labor market, too many unskilled people. Elijah, to, to get back to UCT, uh, do you find, does the institution have a problem in the sense that you find a lot of people wanting to study um, degrees uh, and once they leave university, they are not even going to practice for what they've studied because the marketplace just hasn't, can't accommodate them. Do you think that you, universities need to sort of um, uh, take a, not a shortcut, but they need to sort of uh, make sure that people are studying for professions for which there is a need to help and enrich the country? I think largely, Shafiq, at UCT, we are endeavoring to do exactly that, to make sure that the graduates that we produce meet the exact requirements, the exact skills that are required to contribute to the country, to society, to the economy. We try as much as possible. One of the reasons why we have a dedicated career services within our university departmental structures, you know, is that during your three years at UCT, you are prepared, even beyond the classroom, you are prepared to life or a career beyond your studying days at UCT. So in a sense, we, 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 we are preparing as much as we can, and we even are adjusting as we go along. For instance, with the fourth industrial revolution upon us, we are readjusting in certain disciplines. How do we make sure that the skills that we are producing are exactly meeting or speaking to that? So in a sense, at UCT, we are, and, and you look at the number of graduates that leave the system, the UCT system, and go into the job market and you look at the percentage, it does tell you that we are almost on the right track. Yes, we cannot get it 100% right, but as and when we have to readjust accordingly to make sure that we don't necessarily produce graduates that are going to be on the sidelines, but that are going to be actively engaged you know, in the economy, in society, and otherwise. Professor uh, uh, um, Lucia, um Sorry, Elijah, I'm going, to, I'm going to get back to you. Professor Lucia has referred to the fact that we need to get skills uh, uh, in, in, amongst young people and some of the universities struggle. Does UCT have any kind of an outreach uh, program or scenario where it offers help to other universities in, 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 in much, much poorer areas that are struggling to, to meet expectations, that are struggling to, to, to get things going? With regards to other universities, not necessarily formal arrangements, but obviously there's license that happens, you know, there's engagement that happens. There are other structures through which, you know, they can always be information exchange, they can always be benchmarking, they can always, you know, be learning best practices from each other. But beyond other universities as well, 
we have several programs that would target, you know, learners at high school level in disadvantaged areas. In Cape Town, we have a number of programs such as the 100 Up program, a number of other programs in a variety of ways that almost, you know, work towards making sure that even at high school level, a learner becomes, you know, almost acclimatized, becomes almost familiar when they make the jump from high school to university, whether they land up at UCT or elsewhere, they would have at least have had a sense of what lies ahead. So we have several of those programs, uh, as I say, with other institutions, not so formal, not so structured, but within UCT itself, particularly in various areas in the Western Cape, we have those formal structured programs that are ongoing. Professor Lucia, do you think that... uh the more privileged universities like your University of Cape Towns, your Stellenbosch universities and WITS, that they should actively be laying platforms or reaching out to other tertiary institutions that are perhaps struggling uh, to provide the levels of service that the more urban universities can. Yeah, um Of course, that should happen on their own initiative, and it does happen. I mean, there are research collaborations. There are even, um, for example, um, in the Cape, there's a a good consortium um, of the higher education institutions in the Cape where there's quite a bit of collaboration happening at the level of, for example, the libraries and so on, as far as I remember. But what we, I I think... what, what, in order to address where we are at now and where the system has moved to, is that so many of the problems and so many of the issues that we are facing now actually are not anymore, um, uh, cannot be addressed by any individual institutions, but they are systemic issues. And, and at some point, at some point there was a discussion around um, when, when the higher education institutions um, um, came from all these disparate kind of administrations where they were under, under apartheid. So, for example, you remember Pentec and UWC were actually administered by a colored ministry of education in the Cape. Then you had UCT, who was um, under the Republic of South Africa's Ministry of Education. And then you would have, you know, in the CISCI, uh, Transkai, and so on, in the TBVC state, they had their own administrations for their own. When all of that came together, and decision was taken that every institution will be treated equally, there will, there will be one funding formula, and so on. There will not anymore be any discrimination, and also we need to transform institutions so there was a discussion around this should become a system, a public system of higher education where institutions play particular roles, but they are part of a system overall. And in, in, in very few respects do we actually have a system. We still have a lot of individual institutions, some of them quite successfully, in many cases because they have been historically resourced to be successful, you know, in other cases less successfully so. You know, I mean, we also have our stars. Look what happened to UWC. UWC, you know, um, was un- had the same kind of uh, uh, problems, um, was underfunded and so on, as it were, uh, under apartheid. Look where it is now. In 1998, UWC was bankrupt. 
2021, it is one of the top five institutions in this country. It's a research university, you know. Um, so these are the exceptions, unfortunately. You know, other institutions are still struggling and they are also not located in a metro and they do also not have a, a, a lobby and, 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 and the community embeddedness like some others have, like a UWC has, for example, you know, where there's a buy-in, where there's a support from the community as well for the institution. So we need to have a systemic view. You know, and we need to rethink what public means. So Elijah made the example of the career services at UCT. Why should they be restricted to registered students only? Mm-hmm. Why cannot high school students from from from, from Livingston High, from uh, Tandokulu, from uh, Westerford? Go and and check there and see where must I go? Why cannot somebody who is you know, a, a 32-year-old father of three who decides he wants to change his career, go to the upper campus and get a career counseling there and get, get, being, get, get all that career advice. What does public mean, you know? Also, if I want to go to a lecture, I want to go to any lecture. This is a public university funded with taxes to, you know, why must I be registered? Why can I not just walk in and sit in, and when I decide, okay, I think this is it for me, I'm going to register for the exams, I've studied, and so on, and then I pay, you know? So this is radical, but these are models of how universities operate in other countries where we not only have free higher education, but where we have open higher We've got public higher education, not some semi-privatized form of higher education that eats from the public purse, but doesn't actually serve the public. Unfortunately, we have to leave it there, um, discussing the educational landscape. We could have gone on for a very long time. But special thanks <laughs> to our guests, uh, Elijah Maholola, UCT spokesperson, Professor Terry Lusha from the Human Sciences Research Council. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Do enjoy the weekend. Thank you so much, Shafiq. Thank you, Shafiq. Drive time on 91.3. Always on the cutting edge.